2: purpose they stitch people together if all that sounds good to you visit american-giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code staple20 at checkout that's 20% off your first order at american-giant.com with promo code staple20
3: this webinar will provide information on the intersection of poverty domestic violence and economic security speakers from the Rhode Island and Kentucky coalitions against domestic violence Uh, the Community Action Partnership of Providence, the National Network uh, to End Domestic Violence, and the National Resource Center on Domestic Violence, all leaders in work at this intersection, will highlight important work being done to help domestic violence survivors recover from economic abuse and achieve greater economic security. Resources will be shared about a financial literacy curriculum for survivors, an asset-building toolkit, credit repair, and economic empowerment programming.
1: Alaykum, everyone. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10. We did not know each other,
0: and we could not speak to each other, because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To
4: every politician who is taking donations from the NRA, Shame on you. I believe
0: them when they said they were sleeping on concrete floors. I believe them. Children being separated from their parents
1: So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it?
2: Welcome to Public Access America.
3: Make a stand. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much. And may God bless us. Now a little background on why we're focusing on this issue during Domestic Violence Awareness, Awareness Month. Efforts to eliminate poverty, increase individual and family economic self-sufficiency, and revitalized communities are directly related to the prevention and reduction of domestic violence. Research suggests that domestic violence victimization is associated with recent food and housing insecurity, with unemployment, and with disadvantaged neighborhoods. Approximately 6 out of 10 Americans strongly agree that the lack of money and a steady income is often a challenge faced by a survivor of domestic violence when leaving her or his abusive partner. And research confirms this. Here are some key facts. Domestic violence is the third leading cause of homelessness among families in the United States. Women living in disadvantaged neighborhoods are more than twice as likely to be the victims of intimate partner violence compared with women in more advantaged neighborhoods. Women whose male partners experienced two or more periods of unemployment over a five-year study were almost three times as likely to be victims of intimate partner violence. And a 2009 survey of teens found that those experiencing economic problems in their families were more likely to have witnessed abuse between their parents. Studies have also looked at the experience of TANF TANF recipients um, in Portland, um, a review of cases that were reviewed because of an apparent lack of progress toward work. They found that in 50% of those cases, women reported that they had been physically or sexually abused at some point during their lives. And those experiencing intimate partner violence also face challenges in maintaining steady employment. A 2003 CDC study found that violence against spouses, dating, and intimate intimate partners cost nearly 8 million days of paid work for victims, which is the equivalent of 32,000 full-time jobs. So because of the relationship between economic freedom and domestic violence prevention, savings and asset accumulation strategies can really promote survivors' long-term economic stability and their safety. Um, A study on the savings outcomes of 125 domestic violence survivors uh, participating in an individual development account program, an IDA program, found that women impacted by intimate partner violence are capable of successfully saving in an IDA program when they're given the opportunity. In this study, uh, almost two-thirds of women reached their savings goal, and 76% made at least one match withdrawal purchase. And on average, women saved $87 per month while living on very modest incomes. So, in response to all of these challenges, I just want to summarize some of the work um, that the Family Violence Prevention and Services, or FIPSA program, supports across this country. Um, FIPSA provides funding to local domestic violence programs serving over 1.3 million victims of domestic violence and their children each year through over 1,600 shelter programs and 1,100 non-residential domestic violence programs. We also support domestic violence coalitions in each state and territory, which provide training and technical assistance to the local domestic violence programs. Many of these coalitions have established meaningful partnerships with anti-poverty programs, financial experts, and asset building agencies working collaboratively to ensure that survivors can safely access financial literacy programs, address the economic abuse they've experienced, and be empowered to make informed financial decisions about their futures. You'll hear from two of those coalitions today. And the FIPSA program also supports national resource centers and a national domestic violence hotline that provides training and technical assistance to advocates, service providers, community members, and asset building agencies about economic abuse and economic empowerment of survivors. Today, you'll hear from Ann Menard, CEO of the National Resource Center on Domestic Violence, who's been very instrumental in not only facilitating partnerships between anti-poverty programs, AFI grantees, and domestic violence advocates, but also she was very instrumental in the development of the Assets for Independent Program's Domestic Violence Asset Building Toolkit. The FIPSI program has worked with the Office of Community Services for several years, building relationships between asset building agencies, CAP programs, and Domestic Violence Coalition, and building training tools that you'll hear about today. We're extremely proud of our partnership uh, with the Office of Community Services, the partnerships between asset building agencies and domestic violence coalitions, and the training tools developed by the National Resource Center. The last 30 years has yielded amazing accomplishments that would not have been possible without a meaningful commitment to addressing the impact that domestic violence has on the entire lives of survivors and their families. On the occasion of the 30th anniversary of FIPSA, we welcome you to visit the FIPSA program's website, as well as the Learn About FIPSA website. Both serve as portals to keep others connected to the work of domestic violence grantees, to emergency resources, and training tools. And now I am pleased to introduce Dr. Yolanda Butler. Dr. Butler has served as Deputy Director of the Office of Community Services since April 2006. She also served as both Acting Director and Deputy Director of OCS from 2008 to 2011. In her dual role, Dr. Butler has been an executive manager and advisor for nine block grant and discretionary community and social services grant programs that totaled about $8 billion in resources. Prior to her positions in OCS, Dr. Butler served as a senior advisor on legislative, regulatory, and budget policy in the Office of Legislative Affairs and Budget, where she worked on key social services and community programs. Dr. Butler received her doctorate in political science from Howard University in 2006, and we are very pleased to be working with her as a partner here in the Administration for Children and Families. Dr. Butler?
5: Yes, thank you, Mary Louise, and, uh, for that very kind introduction. Uh, good afternoon, everyone, and I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us as we discuss the intersections of domestic violence and poverty. Uh, as Mary Louise said, my name is Yolanda Butler, and I serve as the Deputy Director of the Office of Community Services, or OCS. Jeannie Chasen, who is the director of the Office of Community Services, sends greetings to you on behalf of the office. I want to thank Mary Louise uh, Kelly today and Sean Del Dawson for inviting us to co-host this webinar today. We in OCS have appreciated the partnership with the Family Violence Prevention and Services Program through the years, and appreciate the opportunity to further our work together during FIPSA's 30th anniversary. We are particularly excited to partner with FIPSA during Domestic Violence Awareness Month and share information with our constituent groups and partners. Next slide, please. The Office of Community Services is one of several ACF programs with roots in the War on Poverty efforts of the 1960s under the administration of President Lyndon Johnson, including Head Start and the Administration on Native Americans, among several other programs. We are celebrating a landmark year as well. Um, August 20th was the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Economic Opportunity Act, which created the Office of Economic Opportunity, and in many respects ties very closely to the modern day Office of Community Services. 50 years ago, OEO housed programs such as Volunteers in Service to America, or VISTA, Legal Services, Job Corps, Head Start, and the Community Action Program. These programs, as critical elements of Johnson's vision for a great society, have two goals, to eliminate poverty and to eliminate racial injustice. Today, the Office of Community Services continues to do our part in keeping President Johnson's vision alive. Statistics show that efforts to eliminate poverty and increase the financial security of individuals and families and revitalize communities are directly related to the prevention and reduction of domestic violence. I want to share some key facts to support that statement. Women living in economically distressed neighborhoods are more than twice as likely to be victims of domestic violence compared with women in prosperous neighborhoods. Women and men who experienced food and housing insecurity in the past 12 months reported a significantly higher 12-month prevalence of rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner compared to women and men who did not experience food and housing insecurity. Women whose male partners experienced two or more periods of unemployment over a five-year study were almost three times as likely to be victims of intimate partner violence as were women whose partners were in stable jobs. Next slide. Many programs at the Administration for Children and Families, including those programs in the Office of Community Services, help provide life-saving services and support to victims of domestic violence and their children. While some of you may be familiar with the Office of Community Services, I think it would be useful to provide an overview of what we do to help individuals and families communities across the nation. Today, OCS has six distinct programs totaling approximately $6 billion in fiscal year 2014 appropriations. Those programs include, number one, the Assets for Independence Program, or AFI. This is a program that funds matched savings accounts for individuals saving for a home, going on to college, or opening a small business. And in fiscal year 14, AFI was funded at approximately $19 million. AFI is a great partner of family violence programs, and you'll hear more about that partnership later. Number two, the Community Economic Development and Healthy Food Financing Programs CD or HFFI. These programs support projects designed to provide jobs for low-income residents by supporting sustainable businesses and economically distressed communities. In fiscal year 14, CED was funded at approximately $28 million. Up to $10 million of that $28 million was directed towards healthy food financing. HSFI helps eliminate areas with no healthy food access, what we call food deserts by sparking business investment with grocery stores, farming markets, and similar projects to areas previously blighted with only fast food, corner stores, or no fresh food. The third program I'll tell you about is the Rural Community Development Program. This program works with regional and tribal organizations to provide safe water systems in rural communities including drinking water and wastewater uh, treatment facilities. This program was funded at approximately $5 million in fiscal year 14. Number four, the Low-Income Home Energy Assistance Program. LIHEAP is the program that keeps families safe and healthy by assisting them with their energy costs. LIHEAP families uh, helps families with home energy bills, energy crisis, such as families facing utility cutoffs, weatherization, or making homes more energy efficient, and energy-related minor home repairs. LIHEAP supports many low-income families with a specific interest in homes with senior citizens and with young children. In 2014, LIHEAP was funded at approximately $3.4 billion. Number five is the Social Services Block Grant Program. This grant is awarded to states to provide a variety of social services, including daycare, foster care, services for people with disabilities, and services for seniors. In fiscal year 14, SSBG was funded at approximately $1.5 billion. And then we have the Community Services Block Grant Program. This program, similar to SSBG, is a flexible funding source and it is awarded to the states. However, resources are passed along to local community-based organizations who are often called community action agencies or community action programs. CSBG funded services are based on the community's needs and can include employment and training activities, education, housing, emergency services, and community economic development efforts. CSBG was funded in fiscal 14 at approximately $670 million. Next page, please. Great opportunities exist for all OCS grantees to further the work of preventing and reducing the occurrence of domestic violence. We have local community-based programs receiving community services block grant funds, AFI funds, as well as state-supported initiatives that can join the partnership to prevent family violence. I look forward to hearing more from our distinguished speakers today about ideas and resources and partnership opportunities. I encourage you to find ways to help your customers and communities build futures without violence. It's now my pleasure to turn the discussion over to our moderator, Ann Menard. Thank you for listening this afternoon.
2: Hello, thank you. Thank you, uh, Mary Louise and Yolanda. You know, federal partnerships like, um, like yours really help facilitate partnerships at a community level, so we appreciate the leadership that, that you're both providing within your, within your agencies. Um, good afternoon. My name is Ann Menard, and I'm with the National Resource Center on Domestic Violence. At the end of the webinar, I'll be coming back to review tools and resources that are available to support this work to address the intersection of domestic violence and poverty, some of which you've already heard about. Um, But now, I have the pleasure of introducing Kim Pentico, who is the Director of Economic Justice at the National Network to End Domestic Violence. Um, Kim is an incredible advocate who has been working with and on behalf of survivors of sexual and domestic violence for over 15 years, including at the local program level with the Kansas Coalition Against Domestic Violence, and now at the national level with the National Network to End Domestic Violence Partnership with the Allstate Foundation, which she'll um, talk about more. Um, Kim, Kim will start our panel with an overview of what we know about domestic violence and poverty before she introduces Zulma Garcia from the Rhode Island Coalition Against Domestic Violence, who will talk about uh, partnerships that the coalition has built in Rhode Island with anti-poverty agencies. And we just found out that Catherine Wilson from the Community Action Partnership of Providence will also be joining us today to to reflect on on that partnership and what it has meant um, for both of those organizations. Um, I, I want to note that Zulma will need to leave the webinar a few minutes after her presentation, so we will pause at that point to see if you have any questions. So feel free to pose questions as we, in the chat as we go along and we'll be capturing them. After Zulma, Kim will return, uh, Kim Pentico will return to provide an overview of the incredible array of economic advocacy efforts underway across the country that have reached tens of thousands of survivors and from which we are learning a great deal. Finally, Andrea Miller from from Kentucky will describe their innovative work on credit repair, which is really emerging as a threshold issue for so many survivors. But first, Kim, tell us what we know about research and experience, what we know from research and experience about this intersection of domestic violence and poverty.
6: Great, thanks so much, Anne, I appreciate it. Um, And uh, I wanna say thanks Thanks to Mary Louise um, and, and Anne for your work in this area. Um, you both have been mentors of mine in this work as well as colleagues, and I so appreciate it. And thanks to Dr. Butler um, for your comments. Um, I so appreciated the going over some of the vision and history of the Office of Community Service. I think it's um, really helpful to see that piece and um, connect it to the work that we're doing. Um, do I have the slides? Okay, so um, one of the things that we talked about earlier or that uh, certainly uh, Mary Louise had mentioned was some t- statistics on poverty. So what do we know about domestic violence and poverty? And some of the statistics have already been reviewed, but just another uh, point that I wanna talk about is that, so we know that about one-third of all women have experienced some form of domestic violence in their adult lives versus nearly 60% of women living in poverty, and you find you know statistics sort of very but most of show right around 60% of women living in poverty experiencing domestic violence. It's a much higher rate for women living in poverty, and, and of those, anywhere from 8 to 33% report recent or current violence, um, with a very high prevalence of, of childhood physical and sexual abuse. So I think the next thing that we want to think about then is why is that occurring? Why is why is domestic violence occurring at a higher rate? um if we if we know that folks who are poor are not more violent so let's so, so why would that be happening um but, so what we do know is that having limited financial resources is a huge risk factor for domestic violence and that's because fewer resources actually equal fewer good choices for getting or staying safe which completely makes sense um I consider myself to be pretty middle income I think probably everybody kinda does consider themselves to be middle income um, but the reality is is that um, if I am not safe tonight in my own home, I do have the ability to flee. I have a car with a full tank of gas. I have a credit card with enough availability to get a hotel room for the night. If I needed to, I actually would, could get a, either my credit card and, and get a flight and leave. Um, so I have the ability to, to get safer, easier, than a survivor that doesn't have that sort of access. So that makes sense. I mean, if we think through our own personal ability to stay safe, given our own economic resources. And we also know that uh, that abusers or batters are using finances to gain or maintain control, which increases the vulnerability. So stealing money, stealing checks, um, accessing accounts, and, and um, things like that. So the fact that they're using those finances to take control means they then have the control in many ways on the finances. Um, and the abuse is likely to last longer and result in more severe injuries for women living in poverty. Um, so again, I just want to reiterate though, that this does not mean that those living in poverty are more violent. Um, it also does not mean that those with more financial resources are not experiencing domestic violence, nor does it mean they're not at risk of domestic violence. It simply means that their risk factors are lessened when you have access to resources um and that the p- the prevalence is not as high because you have access to um reach out. Um so if we think a little bit about the type ta- 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 excuse me, the tactics of financial abuse um and that it's a common um tactic that is used within the context of domestic violence. Um so those c- tactics can often lead to financial ruin. Um that we hear from many survivors that um the violence that they have experienced or the, the tactics within that relationship have really led to long-term financial ruin. And and, and I actually um, have been doing domestic violence work for nearly now 25 years, and I can tell you when I did direct services, this is not something we talked about. Um, now, I fully admit that we probably didn't know enough to to know to talk about it, but in some ways I think it has become more significant because how, particularly credit and credit scores, and we'll talk more about that, a little later, um, affect a person's ability to just survive. You know, um, to get a cell phone, to get an apartment, to get some things that are just basic uh, human needs, you have to have decent credit. Um, and if you don't have good credit, you either can't access it at all or you access it at a much higher cost. Um, so what's actually happening is that folks can't that can least afford uh, higher interest rate, higher fees, and things like that are having to pay them at a higher rate because they have poor credit, because they're living in poverty. Things actually cost more. So it's a cycle, and um, that the fact that we're having these national groups, um, HHS and Office of Community Services, and you know, and FIPSA uh, and VAWA and all those these organizations looking at this issue and getting more and more involved and dedicated um, is a huge piece of helping address this. So thanks to folks on that end. Um, But it's my pleasure to then introduce um, Zoma Garcia, who's been working in the domestic violence movement for over 18 years. Um, She's been with the Rhode Island Coalition uh, since 1996, um, uh, or been with a member agency of the Rhode Island Coalition, 1996, as Director of Community Services, to develop and implement their Latina advocacy program. In two thousand and two, Zelma joined the Rhode Island Coalition as the director of SOAR, which is a beautiful name, which stands for Sisters Overcoming Abusive Relationships, a task force of the Rhode Island Coalition, and in this capacity worked to organize survivors of domestic violence. During the last six years at And Zalma received her bachelor's degree in social service social science at uh, Roger Williams University. And not on the script um, I will just say that Zoma is alone and I have the privilege to know her. The the road is the the screen is yours.
0: Thank you so much. Um, and thank you for all the background information and all the speakers who have come before me and thank you for the invitation to be part of this webinar. Um, so as I was listening to everybody before me, I just wanted to say that the um, you know the the, all the, the stuff that's happening on a national level starts to trickle down to the state level, and then we have the opportunity to share our resources with our community-based agencies. So I was asked to go over what are some of the um, pieces around our relationship building with our partners um, in the community, and so I'll go over it. I'm, some, I'm sure some of you already do some of the work that I'll go over, but um, you know, um, I just wanted to share what I do to um, be part of our community and to share the resources that are offered from the national level down to the state level. All right, so um, next slide please. So what I wanted to go over first of all is is your mission. Um, one of the things that we do as we're looking at partnerships and working in the community is to look at our mission um, and how we meet our mission is really important. Um, so p- some of the things that we do to meet the mission of the coalition is to foster communication and do some resource sharing and networking and collaboration among many other things. But I think that when we look at our purpose and we look at our mission here at the coalition, it kind of guides us and gives us direction on to who for who we wanna um partner with to um you know uh create create uh Work and partnerships that meet us to that get us to meet our mission and move us to eliminating domestic violence in our state. So some of the things that um, I have done in the past, even as I did work in the member agency level, and now I do the same in the uh, coalition level, is I take the lead. Um, so, for example, when I was establishing the Latina advocacy program years ago um, in one of our member agencies, they haven't done it. They had that was a new program for them and my job was to come in and establish partnerships and be able to work with um, the groups in our community to send you know to facilitate services for our clients. So some of the ways that I would do that is I would join um, local community boards, uh, community organization boards so that I can get to know the people in the community. I would um, participate in community events that maybe were on off hours and um, were not necessarily part of my d- uh, day-to-day work as an advocate, but were important in establishing the relationships that I needed in order to facilitate services for our community. So, um, for example, in working with the CAP agency here in, our, um, in Providence, they were going through a transition time. Um, new staff was coming in. Um, and I happened to meet their executive director as part of the board that I sit on at, at the Rhode Island Coalition for the Homeless. And as as both board members uh, there, we got to know each other and started to talk about our work, and we connected. We, uh, we set up an appointment to uh, meet uh, at the office and I got to tour their facility um, as they were transitioning into a new name and to new programs. I got to meet some of the staff there um, and also get them, got got them to know about our work and the the kinds of um, opportunities that we were looking for to um, work with them on. Um, and so through staying in touch through their through the board and talking with their executive director and some of their staff, um, we were able to kind of figure out some of the ways we can work together. The other way is by staying in touch with the agencies. You know, we send our newsletters, we um, send updates to them. Um, we highlight, you know, for example, like today, um, we highlighted the conference on our so- the webinar and that they would be part of the, speaking on our uh, social media um, arenas. So all these relationship building pieces help us um, maintain the relationship and nurture the relationship so that um, we can continue to build strong programs that not just serve our clients but also serve other clients. victims of domestic violence in the community that that may not have the point of access of a shelter or court advocacy program but come through the CAP program for services um and have not yet identified themselves as victims of abuse or that are are ready to, to disclose that. So they may seek out um, services from the CAP agencies for utility assistance, or heat assistance, um, rental assistance, and other services that they provide. So we continue to um, stay connected to the agency by providing information through many um, other forms besides just one-on-one meetings. But I also feel that one of the successful pieces of my relationship with um, the Community Action Partnership of Providence is the direct connection that the executive director, Melissa, and I have had through the, uh, the board experience um, of the Rhode Coalition for the Homeless. Um, next slide, please. And then finally, I, as I was putting together the quick presentation, I was thinking, what are some of the things that I would think about as I, started to envision a collaboration between um, the CAP agency and our, and our work, um, and I, you know, one of the things is what is the opportunity, what am I, what are we already doing um, here at the coalition level, our, um, or what projects would speak to the CAP agency, and how does it benefit the, the victims of, how does this collaboration benefit victims of domestic violence? And so, you know, for us, it just happened to be um, that we had received the Allstate grant from um, the Allstate Foundation on to do financial literacy work here in our state. And part of that was to do some training with community-based organizations. Um, And through talking with the executive director of the CAP agency, we found out that that was something that was interesting that they were interested in doing, and that they wanted to pursue and train their staff, and to uh, work with their clients. So, um, with the resources that were provided through the Allstate Foundation, the curriculums, um, and the trainer trainers that we put on, and I I have actually gone out to the mem to the cap agency and trained their staff several times already. Um, they began to use the curriculum and. Um, work with their clients on financial literacy. So the opportunity just happened to be there and we both saw um, that it would work for for the work that we were both doing um, in our community. So I wanted to turn it over to um, Catherine Wilson who is the person that's implementing the um, curriculum and the work at the CAP agency level so that she could talk about how the collaboration has benefited her clients and her organization. Um, So, Catherine.
4: Uh, Good afternoon, everyone. So, um, thank you, Zoma very much. Uh, As Zoma has already stated, she came to our CAP agency, which is Community Action Partnership of Providence, and she trained all the case managers in the Allstate Financial Empowerment curriculum. And so part of the work that we do is we try to be as holistic as possible. Most of the residents that come to us, we call our clients residents. Um, most of the residents that come in, they're coming for heating assistance. They're seeking our food pantries. Uh, they're coming in seeking assistance for for emergency rental assistance. They might be um, victims of a house fire. There's all kinds of things going on. So. After we kind of get to a place of stabilization, we often talk about financial literacy as part of our mission here at CAP. um, We're an anti-poverty agency, and we hope to assist all of our residents in economic self-sufficiency. So kind of how we look at this is, that we meet people where they are, obviously, and then also we work with families in financial literacy, and we do one-on-ones as well. And then with that, we also tap into our community partners. So for example, with the coalition, with member agencies who are also domestic violence programs. And then we also look further into the community at like NeighborWorks, the Blackstone River Valley, and the National Coalition of 100 Black Women who currently have a financial empowerment program where they offer financial literacy coach. So not only are case managers implementing the Allstate Financial Empowerment Curriculum with their residents, we're also working with these different agencies on having a free coach that will help uh, victims of violence hopefully move forward and um, reach uh, economic self-sufficiency. So and something that's also new to our cap agency is that we have an IDA program. Uh, other I I heard someone mention it before, it's an individual development account and that's brand new. And we're also looking to partner with other agencies to um to assist victims. So that's a little bit of the work that we're doing and that's how we're implementing it here at CAP.
0: Thank you, um, Catherine. I also wanted to say that um as you know, the the collaboration that we have established with the CAP agency has also expanded into another area for us, so we started with the opportunity of the um all state um funding that has come through and the curriculum training. but we have been very lucky that also some of um another staff member from the cap agency is working closely with another project here at the coalition um around um we have a ten men project that we work with, and those are men in the community to take a stand against domestic violence and their um, their person, Real Juan, who works there at the um, Cap Agency, has taken an interest in our project and has also um, been part of that work that we've been doing lately. So, the the relationship that we've established with them has not only helped the victims around the poverty issue, but it also around the prevention issue. So, anybody have any questions or comments? Um hi
6: this is Kenya there was a question that was raised in the public chat that maybe you can speak to okay. um and one had to do with the definitions of um living in poverty so i don't know if you can speak to that a little bit and then um there and then there's just a, another question related to more information about um IDAs.
0: Catherine, did you want to take that one around the IDA? And I'm not sure who spoke about the definition of living in poverty. Sure, I'll um, I'll, men- I'll
4: talk about the IDA. The IDA is an individual development account. Um, we're piloting it here in Rhode Island. There's no other agencies as of right now who are offering it. Um, but what it is is a match savings account, and in that ma- match savings account. Uh, program basically what happens is a resident comes in and they would like to become a first-time home buyer or they would like to go to college or a uh, a training program after high school or they would like to open up their small business so we work with them and we work with our um, uh, community partners to uh, help establish that so for our particular program our residents, if they're able to save up, up to $3,000, we're able to match that dollar for dollar. And then, of course, we look at de- uh, different programs within the Providence area to see you know, if we can get, you know, basically more bang for our buck.
6: So for okay, example, after and the Okay, and then previously there was another question about um, how, what steps do you take to protect personally identifying information um, for survivors that are accessing these types of uh, resources and services.
0: Zoma, do you want to speak about that? Um, well for us, um, I'm not, sh- I mean for us we we have done several um, presentations, several trainings with uh, client services, so there's an array of ways to keep there identity confidential so for example we do some of our training with the family violence Option advocacy program which are clients who access the Department of Human Services um, uh, you know cash assistance programs and and other programs and so we recruit um, some of those clients that are experiencing domestic violence to come take the full day training we provide an array of support so that um, they can participate in the training but it's also just victims of domestic violence it's not open to the public um and so we do that that kind of um you know confidentiality for them we also have had um pro obviously programs our member programs that do the one-on-one sessions or the um Trainings inside their, you know, their confidential locations, or with clients that access their residential programs, um, and so that's what a confidential location. When I do a training out in public, um, w- um, I don't necessarily uh, ask people to disclose whether they are in a domestic violence situation the assumption is when I'm doing the training is that they are victims of domestic violence in the audience and if they choose to disclose, that's that's their decision um, and sometimes that does happen, um, but I, I just make the assumption there are people there and I try to keep the the training on a level that works for everyone in the room. I'm not sure if that makes sense. Did that answer someone's question?
6: Yes, I believe so, thank you. Great, thanks so much. So, and thanks um, to um, to the presentation earlier. I so appreciate all your work, um, Zilma, and um, oh my goodness, I forgot Catherine. Uh, thank you, Catherine. <laughs> I'm trying to dodge between two different powerpoints here. So, thanks so much for sharing your information um, and all your hard work. So uh, much appreciated. So, we're going to talk a little bit about um, economic empowerment and uh, how how these are sort of shaking out in services. And you heard a little bit from Catherine Enzelma on how it's uh, working in Rhode Island. But I uh, want to give you a little more information about um, how we're doing this, uh, supporting it through grant making, uh, specifically through the All State Foundation, a project that we're in partnership with. There are lots of other great resources out there. So um, survivors will often seek shelter due to lack of resources, um, and so we know that that's why this is important. Uh, it was you know not long ago when we didn't weren't making the connection between um, financial empowerment and domestic violence and uh... we're doing that now because we're listening to what survivors are telling us and we also know like i said that that many survivors are seeking shelter because they don't have resources to be elsewhere uh... we also know that men are returning to uh, abusive homes and partners because they have a lack of housing or resources so you know when i am often doing these trainings across the country uh, particularly to a room full of shelter advocates, I asked them, how many of you, um, thinking of the folks that are in your shelter today, right now, how many of them would still be there if they had access to all the resources that they needed? How, would, or, or would they be somewhere else? And uh, almost all of them say that the, that the women that are in shelter right now are there because they truly don't have access to be somewhere else. And it's true, the reality is, is that um, as much as I appreciate and um, you know, just think so highly of folks that are doing shelter work. Um, if, if I turn out to not be safe tonight, I probably am not going to go to shelter. Um, it's not because I think I'm too good for it. It's not because I don't think it's a fine program. But when you've got kiddos or, you know, even without kids, if I can avoid shelter and go to a hotel or go to my mother's house um, and have the access and resources to go somewhere else, I'm going to. So if I end up in shelter, it's because I've exhausted every other resource to be somewhere else. So we know that women are seeking shelter because of lack of resources, no, uh, You know obviously first because they're not safe, but because they're not safe and they don't have resources to be elsewhere. So we know that improving access and knowledge about financial empowerment, financial security, economic finances, um, improves survivors' ability to get and stay safe. And we like to say that this has really helps lead survivors from short-term safety to long-term security. If you want to advance. Next slide. Oh, there we go. So um this is what we're doing through um the National Network to End Domestic Violence with our um partner, the Allstate Foundation. Um we're supporting innovative programs and in grant making. Um the Allstate Foundation has dedicated over 40 million dollars um since 2005, I think, um in doing in ending violence against women, specifically through um financial empowerment work. And um, we've been a part of this with them since the beginning, and they're doing it through traditional um, IDAs or match savings uh, match savings programs, um, as well as non-traditional match savings programs. So when I say traditional, I mean the federally funded IDA program, meaning for every dollar saved, it's matched with a federal dollar, um, and or non-traditional match programs, which means that it can be matched with a non-federal dollar. Um, and it can be for beyond the three purpose areas that a federal IDA program. The federal IDA program can be used for home purchase, um, secondary education, um, or small uh, business loan, as um, we talked about in the beginning. A non-traditional match, they can use it for anything because it is a non-federal dollar. Um, So they're buying um, washing machines. They're um, purchasing cars, which is huge. For those of you who do direct services in a rural program, You know how important um, uh, having a car is. Um, That if you're in a rural area where there's no public transportation, you can't get a job. It drastically impacts your ability to get or stay safe um, and to forget about becoming self-sufficient. So um, these are huge um, for many of the non-traditional match programs. Um, We're also um, making around education and job training. Uh, we're really pushing compassionate assistance, meaning that if um, if she needs a transmission in her car fixed to get or uh, maintain uh job or education, then the funds can be used to do that. It doesn't have to be just for uniforms or just for books. It can be used for any barrier or barrier reduction to get or maintain education or work. Um, and we're also doing it through the Moving Ahead Career Empowerment Curriculum, and there'll be links at the end um to for that information. Um uh, we're doing it through credit repair and microloans and um, Kentucky Coalition Andrew is gonna talk more about specifically about how that's working. Um oh can you go back for just one I think there was one more on there. Oh I think it was just the curriculum, never mind. Um and through the curriculum itself, the financial empowerment curriculum, which is a five part m- <laughs> module <laughs> sorry Kenya, I'm just running you ragged here. You're finding him you can advance. Um, It's a five-part financial empowerment curriculum um, specifically developed uh, in partnership with the Allstate Foundation with victims of domestic violence in mind. Um, The first module is all about safety planning, Um, we talk about what is financial abuse, what does a healthy relationship look like, how to do um, safety planning within the context of domestic violence. Um, We talk about budgeting in Module 2 and what does budgeting look like. Uh, module three is pr- largely on credit repair and how credit works. Uh, module four is about loans, and module five is um, about long-term planning. And I tell you, we got a little bit of pushback originally, and sometimes we still hear, particularly from advocates, about the long-term planning in particular, but some of the later modules, a- and they are, um, they are more challenging concepts in terms of um, we tend to not see folks who um, it, for low- and no-income folks, those are harder subjects to talk about, and maybe even not appropriate for everybody. But um, we wanted to make sure that the information was there um, because we didn't want to make the decision for anybody else that somebody may or may not want to access access the information. Um, so we talk about everything from uh, you know what's a traditional savings account, what's a money market account, those very sort of safe, um, low-risk, and we, I call them toe in the water of long-term saving, long-term planning. Um, to um, what are what are investments? What are
0: IRAs?
6: What's the difference between a, a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA? Um, making sure that when they get employment that they are taking full advantage of any contributions that an employer may make. You know, those are sort of, you know, air quotes easier ways to do long-term planning. Um, so a little bit about what's working, um, and um, that we've tried really hard to be thoughtful about how this program is working for survivors, um, and we are really pushing this next year to go from, we, we've had a microloan to um, actually the microloan really being as part of credit repair, and we did that because we saw the great work that Kentucky's doing in this area. Um, and I'm anxious for you to hear more from Andrea what they're doing there because it's incredibly cool stuff um, The non-traditional match savings program. I talked about earlier which is huge for folks that you know educate
5: uh,
6: secondary education college uh, Home purchasing is just not going to be in some folks future Or, or now at least um, and so doing non-traditional match savings program uh, is meeting a, a wider scope of folks needs Um, And we're really pushing folks to make participation accessible, providing food, providing childcare, transportation, as well as participation incentives. Um, I think at first folks struggled a little bit with this because it felt like paying people to participate. And um, we really see it as acknowledgement of um, their time and uh, the unique barriers that many of them face. And so um, incentives beyond some of the food, childcare, and transportation, um, can look like providing uh, gas cards or um, small Visa cards or Walmart cards or other things like that um, every time they either complete a session or upon graduation, but really celebrating that and recognizing and honoring their work. Uh, yesterday, I was on the line with um, Zeb from Iowa, an advocate there at the Iowa Coalition, and they really think about it as putting what they're learning into practice. If you're learning about uh, budgeting and financial empowerment, but you have no money to budget or be empowered with, that this is one of the ways by giving a gas card, by giving a, you know a, a match savings or a deposit in an account, is one of the ways they can really practice what they're learning. Too is another way to think about it. We really encourage people to celebrate its successes, and that means that we make funding available if they want to use it to do that. But to throw graduation parties, to have cake and ice cream, to invite their kids if they want, to get an actual certificate of completion um, to really make it a party celebration atmosphere from we're working with and that we see that this is um, one of the few things they may have accomplished uh, or completed and to have their kids participate in that can really be an amazing experience enough to be invited to a couple of these graduation ceremonies and they are um, take your breath away and um, it's just a privilege to be a part of it you want to dance again Sorry for the delay. Oh, and here's uh, some of the resources that I've been referring to. Um, A copy of the curriculum is available if you go to to clicktoempower.org. This is the Allstate Foundation's um, website uh, where you can get both the um, Financial Empowerment Curriculum as well as the Career Empowerment Curriculum are both on this page. They're all free. You can actually get up to five hard copies of the Financial Empowerment Curriculum free sent to you and you can also download both of them for free as much as you want. They're available in Spanish and English. Um, if you go to our website um, and you click on Projects tab, oops, um, you can get um, uh, the curriculum PowerPoints if you're interested in presenting it, and there's also my contact information. I also want to say, and I didn't include this in a slide, but when we are discussing this, I it uh, reminded me that I want to just mention um, to never um, Take for granted our own education or knowledge about financial empowerment. And I think that for me, that was a huge um, learning curve for me. Um, and also, one of the wonderful, unexpected outcomes of this work was that um, we ended up doing a lot of advocate um, advancement in financial education. And particularly for folks working in direct services, um, you all probably are aware that many advocates are poorly paid. I know that probably doesn't come to as a great shock to you. Um, but we have advocates that are um, living at the poverty line. Uh, we have advocates that qualify for food stamps and public assistance. And so we have advocates that are really struggling financially. And this is wonderful to provide to them. As an education resource, we even have programs like Kentucky that is offering IDAs because they qualify, the income qualify, to participate in the traditional IDAs. Um, So be sure that you take care of the advocates doing this work, that you first introduce them to this, that they need to get comfortable and excited about the work, um, that it is not helpful if advocates themselves aren't doing this. Um, So I strongly encourage to make sure that um, the folks that are providing this information uh, feel comfortable with it first. Um, And that lastly, um, and I'll close with this piece, is to take your time with doing this work. This is not something that most people are provided or given elsewhere. And so, um, take take your time when doing uh, financial empowerment work with survivors. That talking about money tends to be very um, fraught with um, challenges, and has been probably one of the things that's held against survivors in their relationships. So that we make sure that we take lots of time uh, with caretaking around this issue, and not just sort of try to jump in and budget on somebody's first day in shelter.
1: To those who the world we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all It will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if You, me you you, nobody, nobody, is going to hit as
6: hard as life. Ask not. Yes, we can. What your husband
1: can do for you. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your husband. Five poor little children. Yes, we can. One day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I don't have to tell you things are bad. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how, it's hard, about you how hard you And keep, keep
3: moving
1: keep forward. forward. How much you can much take and keep, keep moving forward. forward. That's how winning it is
0: done. Welcome
2: to Public Access America.
1: America. Yes, we can. yes, we
2: can. Now on Instagram and SoundCloud. We wanted
1: to run out of that tunnel of that for my dad.
2: On Twitter. Podcast for the Stitcher Smart Radio app,
1: Podable
2: and Spotify. Yes, Yes, we can. Public Access America: History in the Making,
1: Making History
2: in the Making.